Welcome to Emran's podcast, episode number 84. This is your host, Suman Silwal. Visit emrans.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, get race photos, and much more. This week's episode is brought to you by Pinhoti Trail Runs. Visit pinhotitrailseries.com to learn more about Pinhoti 100, Chiha 50K, and more. I'd like to welcome Emily Kennedy, Bob Waters, and Michael Roy to Emron's podcast. Uh, each of you are about to run fifth Pinhoti. That's the reason I wanted to bring all of you to Emron's podcast. Uh, this is my second running up Pinhoti. I can imagine running five times. Uh, uh, welcome to Emron's podcast. I think, uh, Mike, uh, this is your first time in Emron's podcast, and Bob has been here a couple of times, Emily, briefly after the 2016 uh, Pinhoti. So, uh, welcome to Emron's podcast. Glad Hello, to be back. Good to hear hear you. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Great to have you at the Emron's podcast. Before we uh, go forward, uh, Michael, uh, tell us about your running running experience uh, running Pinhoti because you exclusively uh, run those Pinhoti trails uh, throughout through the five years uh, of running this. Uh, tell us about uh, some of the experience that you had running Pinhoti. My first experience with the Penhody Trail was um, some training runs leading up to my first Mount Chiha 50K, which was back in February of 2013. And the Penhody just really captivated me. And I don't know, I have a like a big attraction to going out to the Talladega National Forest and being on those trails. And maybe it's because of um, they're more remote and less traveled. I don't know. It seems like you're in the wilderness more when you're out there. And they're really, really challenging. So um, when I heard of the Penhody 100, which had been around for several years before I ran it, I was just attracted to doing it, just the challenge of it. And I started going on training runs with Birmingham groups. Um, the Birmingham Ultra Trail Society would organize little training runs and we would go out there and, and run in, in groups of five or more people and run maybe 25 to 40 miles and um, those were really enjoyable and, and the people that I saw during my very first training run um, or five years ago are people that I still see today at all the, the trail runs and socialize with and it's just been a really big part of my life. Definitely, uh, Michael. Emily, uh, you, you're from Huntsville area, and uh, you run a lot of uh, Montesato area and uh, the Huntsville trails. Uh, coming to Pinhody, tell us uh, about your experience coming to Pinhody. What's the difference from running Sataldega Forest uh, Pinhody Trail versus the area that you run? Well, I mean, to be honest, I was I was born and raised in Oxford, so I grew up, spent a lot of time in high school on the Penhody and hiking and camping um, at Pine Glen and things like that. And my very first year to run Penhody in 2013, I had just moved to Huntsville, so I didn't know anybody up here. And I came home almost every single weekend just to run with the Penhody Trail Runner group and to train and things like that. So it was after my first Penhody before I ever started reading, like running the Montesano trails and things like that. But I love the Penhody. That's why I come back every year because nothing <laughs> compares <laughs> to those trails. Emily, you were on the first training run I ever ran on the Penhody. Yes. That we, was. Ran, we ran the first 40 miles of the race as a training run. Wow. Yes. And we were, and we were all green out there not knowing. That was my first time on the trails. So it sounds like uh, your friendship started back then, uh, you, you both of you, and Bob here is about to uh, finish the uh, fifth one. 
Bob, uh, you, this is your fifth time uh, running Pinhoti, and you have also done the Pinhoti Slam, several different Pinhoti. Uh, so why why Pinhoti? How why do you like so much of uh, running Pinhoti? And this is uh, what uh, what the hundred mile it is. What number? It's like it's ten or twelve, correct? This will be my eleventh hundred uh, miler, um, fifth Pinhoti. Kind of like with uh, what Emily was saying, as far as uh, that being where she grew up, and she camped and hiked there. I had backpacked it, you know, several portions of it and, and knew it as a as a hiking trail. And when uh, I first ran the Chia 50K is uh, when I just basically fell in love with the uh, trail running, uh, the ultra distance. And that first 100 miler, it was my first 100 miler. So I just keep coming back to it. And uh, something I didn't realize until just a little while ago was that 2013 was all of our first 100 miler. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the reason why you are on on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I knew Emily, and I didn't realize that it was Mike Michael's first hundred miler as well. <laughs> well, this is my first and the only one hundred miler I've done is the Penhody. The next closest I ran the Georgia Death Race this year, but Penhody's been my longest, my go-to long run of the year. Definitely. Uh, talk about Pinhoti. Uh, Michael, you asked me about uh, uh, how many Pinhoti have I done. I have done only one Pinhoti. I was amazed by you guys that kept going back. I had a one Pinhoti, uh, 2014, I think. Uh, that was enough for me, uh, 2014, 2015. I think it was 2014. And that was enough for me uh, to run Pinhoti. But this year being 10th Pinhoti, I, w- I wanted to go back. Uh, hopefully, I can redeem myself. Pinhoti trail is not nice to me. So, <laughs> so <laughs> talk about that. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about the the race uh, has, has it changed in five years that you have that you guys have run uh, anything uh, other than uh, the weather ha- has it changed and also let's talk about a little bit about the weather as well as the first time we're coming through in Hody trail they can listen to us about talking about the weather of how how different it can be in five years of running Pinhoti. Well, Bob, what was the rain year? Was that 2015? 2015, yeah, yeah. So that was the year of a big change because the fire roads were washed out and the bus drivers couldn't take the buses, couldn't bring the runners to the start. So we had to um, start the race at what would be mile 13 and do an out and back to the what was the first aid station of the race. So that was the, the only one that was really different. Bob, you remember anything? Yeah, the, uh, you know, the temperature has been different, but, uh, you know, as far as the course itself is, uh, I understand there's been some minor changes, not that I noticed them, uh, mainly on the tail end, doing a little bit more trail section after Pinnacle. But, That's correct, uh, for the, yeah. But for the most part, you know, it, it has stayed the same. Was it 2014 was a very cold year? Yeah, that was a cold year. That's the year I yeah. ran. <laughs> Yeah. It was cold from the get go, yes. and then it got cold. Yes. And it, it was never, Alabama, never it was got Alabama warm. cold. It was in the twenties, I guess, or maybe down into the teens. Yes. Um, and you know that trail is a, it's a different trail depending on the weather. I mean, with when there's a lot mm-hmm. of water, the water crossings are make a big difference in the race. Like one the the rainy year, we had knee deep water in places, and a lot of people had like our very first um, drop bags at Lake Morgan. And a lot of people had shoes at that at that drop bag. But um, to get to that aid station, you had to navigate through a creek that was knee-deep. So those shoes did you absolutely no good if you wanted to have dry shoes. They were going to immediately get wet when you left the aid station. Wow. Yeah. Emily, your experience on, on the weather? 
pretty much what these guys are saying. Yeah, the, the 2015 year was pretty rough. I remember my husband telling me when I came through Bald Rock, you know, the weather says it's only going to rain two more hours and then it's out. I mm-hmm. think it rained till the sun come up. And somehow, even though I had to do major foot maintenance pretty much at every aid station from Bald Rock to the finished, it's somehow my fastest year. It was my fastest year, too. <laughs> 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 is it because of the weather condition uh, not being so hot? Because last year was pretty hot. Uh, got got hot during the day, I think. So yes, heat will slow you down the most. It oh is. yeah, and last year there was a lot because of the drought. There was a lot of uh, leaves and pine straw on the course, so it was treacherous just from well, the and the smoke really yeah. got me last year with all the um. With the wildfires they had, you know, earlier, yes. there's still a lot of smoke lingering, um, which I remember really bothering me. So the runners coming from out of town, uh, you just have to realize we had a lot of rain in Alabama uh, over the summer. So we shouldn't have any problem of a yeah. uh, drought situation like last year. And most of the leaves are still on the trees. So <laughs> hopefully that won't be uh, an issue either. Yeah, this looks to be sizing up to be a race that starts in the 40s or maybe low 50s and temperatures peaking in the 70s during the day and then cooling back off in the evening. So that should be fairly good. Maybe a little more warm than I would want, but I'm looking forward to the weather this year. Definitely. um, I have peeked through it. I I don't know if it's allowed to do it or not. Is it too early? But I have peeked through the weather and uh, I forget it's supposed to rain or something like that. But it's too early right now. Um, We're too It's too early to tell about rain. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, a a light rain and good weather is not really that, that bad. I think the year we're talking about rain it was cold and rainy and it and that made it not that enjoyable in the uh, it was super super windy on pinnacle like the wind was brutal yeah we couldn't see i mean we were running through a fog where i'm serious i could not see five feet in front of my face i mean i ran into fallen trees it was, <laughs> it was amazing yeah. i mean bob you finished that pretty fast so you probably were maybe you missed yeah, some of the fog. I, I love bad conditions <laughs> the worst the conditions the more I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the course. Uh, let's go go into the course and t- tell each of you running this five years of running. Uh, tell us about uh, have you found each year the different part of the course is difficult or when you hit the pinnacle it's hard or ball rock or uh, what is the difficult part for you uh, each each year that you run? Like I said, is it a different year, different places? How did that work? Uh, for me, it's uh, after pinnacle, especially that first year after pinnacle was probably the worst part the the fire roads at that point were in extremely bad, bad condition and that's after it was mile just, 74 so for everybody listening yeah it was just deep yeah, you get up to the top of the hill at pinnacle and then you're you're kind of running the ridge but you're still climbing but you're a good portion of that is is on fire road and it was just all washed out uh you know two foot deep crevices and just boulders everywhere but after the fires last year they came in and have conditioned the road so uh that's one thing i remember from last year is what good condition those roads were in and that they were actually runnable at that point if you still had anything left on your legs yeah i think some of the race there's more of the race on 
on the trail in that section now. Yeah. But it's a treacherous trail because we yes. recently ran the Rebecca Mountain uh, 50 miler, which r- runs over a portion of the Penhody course. And the trail was about the rockiest trail I've ever been on. It was like you couldn't really even tell there was a trail there. <laughs> yeah, I have run, I, I ran that uh, area twice already uh, uh, past summer. And uh, I was wondering if uh, the race director, Todd Henderson, whether he's going to put that in the Penhody race itself or not because it's like you said michael it's really hard to tell even during the daytime and i, I need like a thousand flags over there too <laughs> I, I did i talked to the race director about that and he said there is more of it on the trail but i think hopefully the more treacherous parts will not be in the race but i think the worst parts will still be on the fire road especially because it's so late in the night i appreciate some of the fire roads in the evening time kind of helps uh, in the later stages of the race does anybody agree with that yes <laughs> definitely what about the Penhody trail in general to me it is you know a, a lot of races out there they they advertise great views or, you know, or they're the toughest, the most climbed, the most beautiful views. The Penhody, it has a little bit of everything. There is some beauty, but there is also where you're just in the middle of the woods and the woods surround you and you could really get deep inside yourself on that run. And like the whole first 35 miles of the race is on really gently rolling terrain that's runnable but it's also makes it difficult because you could really start the race too fast um so you have to learn to pace yourself over these hills because they all add up when you look at the elevation profile it's deceiving because of it doesn't really give you an indication of how many hills that you're running what do you think bob yeah the uh the first part of the race definitely on the elevation chart you look at it and it's just little bumps and then when you get to chi high it shows this big climb and then pinnacle climb and i think there's another one on there but uh the front end of the race is definitely the the best trail now that doesn't mean it's the easiest but um, uh, gently rolling is a, a term that uh, <laughs> I don't know I would use for that particular right, part. Right, okay. <laughs> it's, it's a series of, oh, crap, climbs. <laughs> That's more like it. <laughs> and the trail is rocky in some areas, and it's um, campered. It's, I mean, you're running unfamiliar footing. Yeah, that's why we love it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's my favorite section is Revis yes. Shoal Creek, which I guess was aid station three or is that two uh, two, two. Yeah, two yeah. yeah shoal creek to bald rock it's got to be my absolute favorite hey yes. i'm running i'm running that on saturday on saturday morning i'm running shoal creek to, to bald rock i think i got an invite I've, for that I've from that donna section, i've done that section every year as a training run i usually start at pine Glen, but since i'm running my last long run so late in the game i'm starting at shoal creek yeah i love that section but then um every year's different sometimes that climb the pinnacle seems to take forever and then other years it's like oh i'm already here it just i think it's just where i'm at mentally and physically and <laughs> so every year i count a different number of switchbacks up that hill <laughs> exactly i know i haven't i don't have a count i was about to go take a, a bunch of numbers out there and nail them to the trees at each switchback so how many switchbacks is there at the, at the pinnacle climb there may be nine or, or ten <laughs> Any, I, anywhere I, I from count every time because of the um Anywhere from 18 to 24. <laughs> yeah. 
Just remember the real switchbacks start when you get to the tree stump. That yes. There's a, there's a stump in the middle of you know the trail that you could sit down on if you want, but that is when the, the switchbacks start. My first year of climbing, I started walking to that. My sister's like, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to throw this away because in my mind it was a garbage can." Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's when the hallucinations start. <laughs> <laughs> every time I see that stump now, my trash can. When you leave the uh, the aid station, Porter's Gap, start your um, run towards the Pinnacle. And the reason we're mentioning Pinnacle so much, it's, it's the last big climb of the race. You get to Porter's Gap, which is mile 68, 69, and you have a drop bag. You leave that A station, you have like three and a half miles of rolling terrain before you get to the Pinnacle Climb. And right before you get to the climb, there's a lake. It's called Scott's Lake. And if you're like me or maybe even Emily, it's, the moon is up high in the sky at that time if it's clear skies, and you will get a funky reflection of the moon in that lake, and it will cause you to think all kinds of strange things too just that that whole run my first year i was i was my slowest year i think i finished in 28 hours but going through those woods there i was um i was seeing eagles and witches and all kinds of things in those woods <laughs> definitely uh talk about the the course itself so once you pass uh those hard area do you guys try to go fast uh once once you get to bulls gap uh you know that whole section from there the mile 89 to 100 how 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 do you guys take that? I, I ran pretty fast, much faster than I, I was I was supposed to, I guess, to catch up my time. But how do you guys run run that last section of the course? Survival mode. Yeah, just to feel like the first year there was no running. I had such horrible <laughs> blisters on the bottoms of my feet that it was just a very painful shove. Probably my fastest year that was 2015. I think that's just because the weather slowed me down so much during the day. I had a lot more left in my leg. So once I hit Bull's Gap, I had a lot more running left. And then after I left that last aid station, I left my pacer behind. I was just ready to be done. And I don't think I'd ever ran that hard at the end. <laughs> Each of you uh, have run this race for five years. Tell us about uh, how different uh, different way you guys run this race. Uh, you know, as a second year runner for myself, uh, I'm trying to think a little differently this year than last time when I ran. I think I had a good good 27 mile of running and and then i then i had a survival mode after that i don't want to suffer that long so tell us about how you guys run this race i remember seeing um you run your first race soon and, and like most of us you ran um you went out really really fast and that's what every time i i normally you know how marathoners hit a wall i'll hit my first wall at 27 miles which is the first drop bag is right when you said you had it good until that point so i mean through training and pacing i still hit my first low though at that first drop bag location at mile 27 and i slowly come back and kind of recover by the time i get to mile 40 which is the second drop bag and there is a um a rocky descent down an area they call Blue Hell after you get to the, the highest point in Alabama at Bald Rock. And it forces you to go slow because it's um, you're descending through boulders in really, really steep terrain. But once you get to the bottom, you hit a short section of fire road that allows you to make up a little bit of time. And by that time, it's going to be after 3 o'clock in the evening and 3, 4 o'clock, maybe even 5 by the time you get to the next aid station. And the weather, um, the temperatures will stop dropping. 
they'll start dropping and you'll get a natural resurgence from that temperature drop that carries you into the night, which I always get my second wind around the aid station at Silent Trail. And I enter the woods there back on. We were off of the Penhody Trail at that point. We go from Penhody to Fire Roads to a, a different trail system for about 13, 14, 15 miles. So you enter a trail called Silent Trail, and it's really one of the more beautiful trails in Alabama. Meanders along the creek for a little ways, and there's a big creek crossing. And if it weren't dark, it would be really beautiful. It usually gets dark when I get through there. Um, but anyway, from there on, it's just I, I enjoy it the evening time because of the if the temperatures drop just a little bit, and we hit all the good aid stations. I mean, I mean, they're all the Panhody A stations are great, but the ones at night are kind of special because they're lit up and they usually have campfires and the people put on a really, I don't know, the best A stations I've seen anywhere. Uh, do you guys agree, Bob, Emily? Yes, yes. By the time you get to Hubbard Creek, it's like they have a <laughs> 25-foot Christmas tree light set up. Televisions with football games on. They have an open bar and um, a buffet. That's when I start eating, too. <laughs> so, Emily, uh, for you uh, running this trail, tell us about uh, how do you take uh, you, your pace is a uh, pretty, pretty steady pace. Uh, I have seen you running at several different occasions. Tell us about the, how do you take uh, from the beginning to end? Is there places uh, you slow down a lot or speed up or how does that work for you? Yeah, I'm a much slower runner. I mean, from the get-go, I just go slow. I go steady. Um, if I'm ever winded or I can't talk or sing to myself, I know I'm running too fast. So I just always make sure my heart rate is steady. That's just what I focus on. Um, every year for me, it's just been a tad different because I've rolled my ankle second year mile pins. That obviously slowed me down, finished with a huge ankle. I'd always definitely tend to get really slow at the end. I'm usually something's wrong and I don't ever get my second win anytime after mile 75. So I don't take a lot of rest breaks at aid stations. I pretty much just grab my food and go try to save a lot of time there. Definitely don't push it hard at all within between the start lot. Um, I'll try on the Jeep roads you know, after you leave. Visit Adam's Gap, I believe. You've got some Jeep road and stuff after that. Yeah, Adam's Gap. We got some Jeep. a little bit of time. That's kind of how I tackle it. I just worry about aid station to aid station and that's how I like to think about it. I don't wear my GPS watch or anything when I do this because I don't really care what my face is. <laughs> I don't want to know. I just go on feel. Definitely. If I'm enjoying it or I'm pushing it too hard, I'll just walk till I'm happy again and then I'll start to run. Talk about that, uh, Michael. I, I remember uh, my first year whenever I was doing this, like you said, I went too fast. I, I wanted to get there. I want to get to the ball rock before dark. And that was my purpose to do that. But may have gone too fast. Uh, I think I was pushing 21 hour. But I think, Emily, I, I, did, I finished like a few minutes ahead of you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, 100 miles is a long ways. It's just crazy what can happen and who you see. And I mean, it's just. um. Yeah. yeah. I, I was running. Uh, yeah. Yeah, throughout the nights, I was running two, two and a half miles per hour till I realized I'm not going to make this cutoff. So, so I have to pick up and go. I hope it's not going to happen like that. I'm a little bit wiser. So what about you, Bob? Yeah, my experiences have been uh, both of what they said. Um, like Michael was saying, the uh, the first you know, 24, 25 miles is uh, where you know, I, I get that, okay, I, I'm shot. You know, I've, I've gone out too fast. I need to 
need to start walking and recovering. And then at that point, I pick up with what Emily does, which is you just go steady. And you know, once you recover, you go steady and you know, be in and out of the aid stations as fast as you can. You know, going down Blue Hill is uh, very tough, especially if it's wet. But once you get down to the bottom of that, you know, you've got a mile and a half or so over to Silent Trail. That is just an easy little uh, jog, basically. And then once you get to Silent Trail, it's relief. Uh, you're back on a trail. It's uh, cooling off temperature-wise. It's getting dark. And to me, that's the my favorite part of 100 milers is, is running at night. And there's just something about it that's so uh, it just puts your mind and your body at ease, uh, at least for me. And I agree. Well, one thing about night running, also, I realized that year because I have run uh, Lake Martin, and you hardly see anybody at night. In Hardy Trail, you continuously see people either passing you or ahead of you my guess was mostly people <laughs> passing me but yeah that's uh, that's another interesting part i mean i have done lake Martin four times but uh you don't see hardly see anybody and and you think that's kind of odd because lake martin is a looped course where you know you're going to come up on and pass people and get passed all the time it would seem like but that Pinhoti being point to point, once you see them, you think you're done with them, but probably catch up and pass them, and then they'll catch up and pass you. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of leapfrogging that happens. Everybody's strengths are so different. Some people are very good and efficient at running downhill, and some people are very strong at running uphill. So that just gives the opportunity to see people over and over again as everybody's playing to their strength, which is, it makes the race more fun, in my opinion. That's an interesting point, uh, Michael, because, yeah, playing to the strength is what we all try to do, I mean, regardless, uh, and especially in Hody, it shows clearly, I guess. I mean, yeah, for me, it's, uh, like I said, waking up about 4 o'clock in the morning, realizing, you know, I'm not going to make it, then, then I have to post it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where it came from, but I started running as fast as I was running when I ran first 27 miles. I mean, it's just amazing what how things can change so quickly, you know. So usually when I when I run 100, one of the line I have it says "Stay in the low, ride the high." So so talking about uh, talking about a couple of things you guys mentioned about dropbacks uh, throughout this uh, years of running. Uh, what kind of other different uh, things you put in a dropback? What worked and what didn't work? Uh, at least one to one or two things we should put in dropbacks. And how many dropbacks do you put out there? Um, I've been very lucky every year. I always have a crew with me, so. I I never had a drop bag until, well, I guess when Morgan Lake went from being crew excess. So I do leave a drop bag there. Then only being about 20-something miles in. I don't have a whole lot in it. I always have my headlamp since I am slower. There's always that chance that I won't make it to Bald Rock when the sun goes down. So I always keep my headlamp there. Um, just some snacks that I like to have and an extra zip-block element. But I'm very lucky because I have my crew who goes from aid station to aid station for me. So, But even in your crew, uh, when, you, when the crew, they have have their stuff what kind of things you put uh is there things you put in from year and year out same stuff or or have you changed last four years uh 50 year going in so no i have the same um spreadsheet that i made with all my supplies from the first year essentially is probably this is the exact same as what i've used year after year i mean all your standard stuff as far as socks and change of clothes the one thing that i always do that i didn't do the first year when i had such horrible issues with my feet is i 
always have everything I possibly need in my pack to take care of my own feet. I keep a dry pair of socks that are in double Ziploc bags to keep them dry. I keep blue, a safety pin, an alcohol swap. Those are the number one thing. No, I mean, I can't think of anything special that I always have to have. Just pretty much standard first aid stuff. What about you, Michael? Well, um, I agree with what Emily's saying. That's similar to what, what I do. Um, I also, that mile 27, the very first drop bag, um, it's usually the, the day is heated up by then and you're pretty sweaty if it's a hot year. So a lot of times I will put a, I'll put a wash rag, a bottle of water, of my, my own water in my drop bag and I will wash my arms and um, face off and, and that kind of helps. I usually try to put something special in that first drop bag to kind of lift my spirit, something to look forward to if it's maybe something small to eat or something to drink that's kind of special. Um, just like a special little snack that I could kind of focus on if I'm feeling down. And it's also the A station where maybe I'll take a vitamin B12 tablet to help um, elevate my mood a little bit. And it, that usually works. Um, all on the very beginning of, I use tailwind as my fuel um, for the first part of the race. And I'll pretty much solely operate on that all the way through Bald Rock and the next A station, Silent Trail. I think it's Silent Trail is when... Um, the boiled potatoes usually catch my interest, and I'll try some solid food about that time. But prior to that, I'm just um, changing out, um, putting tailwind in my bladder at every aid station and just fueling on that. So everything's weather dependent. So you have to, when you're planning your race, you have to think about when you may need to switch from short sleeve to long sleeve shirt, um, when you might need an extra pair of socks if it's rainy. Um, and maybe where I, a lot of times I'll put two backup pair of shoes spread out. There's five drop bags during Penhody, so that's that's quite a bit. And, if, and I usually operate without a crew, so I strategically put extra shoes, long sleeve shirts, so I have some options of when to, to change into cold weather gear or when to change shoes if I need to. And I most de- definitely change my shoes every year i think i've changed my shoes at bulls gap which is mile 85 because um you're on a long stretch of hard fire roads and i usually switch into a traditionally switch into a pair of hokas at that point just to give my feet a break i wear ultras before that point i've worn some real minimalist shoes during 100 and paid for it with having bone bruise on my heel um plantar fasciitis everything I don't usually have the blister problems, but I've had every other type of foot problem over that distance from not wearing shoes that were cushioned enough for the rocky trails. So I'm De- still learning. Definitely. And we all always learn. And talk about the weather dependence. So how uh, uh, on the weather, uh, how early, 24 hours, 48 hours uh, to make a final decision on, on the clothing? How how early do you all make a decision on that? Usually two to three days for me. Two to three days. Okay. Yeah. I'll go ahead and finalize everything up. It will usually change a lot within, you know, 48 hours or so. I know in Penhody yeah. it, it changes a lot. So, so just uh, to be sure on the safe side. What about you, Bob? My uh, experience is about the hybrid of, of that. I, my wife crews me, but I do put out uh, drop bags as well. And with the plan being, if if it's uh, a crew accessible, she'll get there and get my bag out and have things ready for me. And if she doesn't make it, I've still got 
what I need. The uh, drop bags, typically, you know, after the first hundred, I had everything and the kitchen sink in it, or she was carried. But now it's very minimal. Typically, I've got some things that I like. So I'll have, uh, you know, what what I want to drink. I'll have uh, some gels or the uh, main drop bag locations, which uh, Morgan Lake, Cheha, and Porter's Gap or Adams Gap all have something special, like Mike's talking about, which for me is uh, a pudding. It just really picks me up. And you know, weather dependent stuff, uh, Adams Gap and Porter's Gap are where I might throw a, a long sleeve shirt in or, or a jacket, depending on you know, the forecast two or three days out. And uh, Porter's Gap is really, if you're going to pick something up for the night, no matter what time you get there, be it midnight or 2 a.m., Pinnacle is where it's going to get the coldest. Once you hit Pinnacle and you're up on that ridge, that's going to be cold from the wind. Now, once you get to Bulls Gap and you get down on some of those fire roads, mile 85 and on, that can be some extremely cold stuff there, too, believe it or not. But um, you know, for me, in in the hundreds I've done since that first one, I rely on the drop bags, or at least what's in them. And the first thing I want to do is go to the aid station and see what they have. And I say, okay, I'm going to grab these two things after I get my drop bag and get what you know, the special stuff I want, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get this and grab it and go. Gotcha. Have you ever, Bob, have you ever left anything in a drop bag and get a mile down the trail and run <laughs> before you realized it? Not at Penhody, but I, I have at Georgia Jewel. Um, I didn't get a mile down the road. I, I got it about two, 300 yards down the road and realized I had picked up everything I needed except refilling my water. Yeah. When I ran the Rebecca Mountain 50 miler recently, I got, there was only one drop bag location and I had my all my tailwind in there. I took it out, put it in my pack. Then for some reason, I took it out of my pack and put it back in my drop bag and didn't realize it till it was too late. So in that condition, would you go back on that condition? Only, I mean, unless it's a oh, headlamp. Yeah, I was a couple miles before I realized it. Well, I actually, I didn't realize it till the next aid station when I went to look for it is when I really realized it was gone. But I've relied on the aid stations. But would you would you go back to that thing unless it's a headlamp or some very important stuff, correct? I mean, two miles is too far out, so. I went back the first year I ran Penhody. I think I brought hiking poles, and I left them at the aid station and had to go back for them. But Penhody is... You really don't need them, but um, I had trained with them, so I was kind of depending on them. So I did go back, and that that was a really bad feeling having to go back a quarter mile to get something. <laughs> so as you move forward, uh, fifth year of running Pinhoti, and now uh, give us some of your wisdoms of a Pinhoti. So each of you give, give us a wisdom running Pinhoti first time or second time, or like um, like me, second timer. Give you wisdom and see what is the best way to finish. Uh, that that you think of? I think it all starts about eight months before the race. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little bit late, late for me, I guess. It's, it's too late. <laughs> my, my best advice for anybody is wait to Chiha before you, if, if you want to push and go fast, wait to Chiha before you start doing it. Save something for the end because that's where you can really go fast if you've got anything left. In my opinion, after the Adams Gap, you can make up time. 
on that section between Adams and Claremont and between Claremont and um, Chandler Springs. You could make up time on that simply because you're on a lot of fire road. Um, you won't be able to make up the time if you burned yourself out before that. Definitely. What about you, Emily? Um, pretty much the same. Yeah, when people ask, that's what I say is just, you know, don't burn yourself out on that first 40 miles. And then I'm going to reiterate what Bob said. And I always tell everybody, it doesn't matter how warm you think you are at quarters, take the extra clothes with you because it is cold up on the mountain. That first year, I told my crew, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm good. And Got up there and thought I was going to go into hypothermia. It is it is cold up there, no matter what it feels like at Porter's Gap. Yeah, I mean, maybe 10 degrees colder up on top of the mountain. And then add the wind. It's I've never not been cold up there, but I mean, I, I move a lot slower too. And it's, you know, I'm usually coming down off the mountain at like daybreak when it's at its coldest. So, um, but from what I understand this year, both um, Pinnacle and Wormy's Pulpit are through accessible. So that can make a huge difference for a lot of people because I know if I hit my lows that it's always on those sections. It's just such a long stretch, quarters to bulls, and it can be miserable. But I was going to give a word of caution for the crews that um, this year being the first for Pinnacle and Wormy's Pulpit, that to get there, you are driving fire road. Even though it has been improved, it's still fire road. And to Wormy's Pulpit is seven miles of fire road. And yeah, runners from... Wormy's pulpit to Bulls Gap is about five miles. Mm. So you're driving seven miles of Jeep Road back to, toward Talladega, and then you're driving the paved road back around to get to Bulls Gap. So it's it's a long time for your crew to get back to Bulls Gap from where Wormy's pulpit. Yeah, just adding what uh, Bob just said, I, I ran that area, and those roads are not as great as you, you think. And don't take a little cars. I mean, if you're going to do it, you got to take a truck or yeah. SUVs, uh, you don't want to get stuck around there. So The one thing I wanted to, to say is that um, from a personal standpoint, running that first year of Penhody 100 for us, the people we met that year, and we're talking crews as well as runners, these are the people we see every year, and we look forward to seeing these people. You know, this is, a, this is like a homecoming, and, you know, you get to – to see your friends and see the people that you might not see the rest of the year. Um, you know, I, we always consider it a treat when we get to see Emily and her crew, uh, Jennifer and Greg and Lindy. You know, it's just uh, it's it's an exciting time when we get this close to the race. Like, all right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jen says she gets sad though because Bob, you're so much faster now, so she never gets to see Heather. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too fast. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, really, that's that's. Uh, does everybody have a, a goal time for this race? I mean, most people have like their A goal, B goal, C goal for for times. I mean, like I know our very first one, our goal was to finish, and that was mine. And then every year I would try to set a new goal and try to finish the race. I'm just wondering what you guys, if you wanted to share your goal. Yeah, my goal is this this time is finish faster than last time and not die at the mile 27. <laughs> If you have a better experience, you know, like like I said very early in this interview, that uh, Pinhody Trail is never nice to me. You know, it's uh, something I have a. So I'm hoping that one of these days I have a great experience running Pinhody. Um, but uh, but my my goal is to finish uh, this year again. So or or finish a little bit faster than last year, last time. Every year, my goal is to finish. Now, I, I might have that secondary goal, and, and it's usually I would love to beat 24 hours. 
so far, you know, I've done it two out of the four years. Uh, the first one wasn't even close. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that's always in the back of my head is uh, that should be nice to be 24. But finishing is the goal. Yeah, same for me, like, because this year, because I've got two jackets on the line, the, the fifth-year finisher jacket and the Penhody Trail Series jacket. So I just want to stay upright and not get injured and, and, and finish. Definitely. Uh, so I remember last year, uh, one of this lady, I, I don't remember her name, she's from Brazil, uh, and she was talking talking to about me about how she wanted to finish uh, that race regardless because she wanted to quit for so long, but because of that jacket, she kept on going. All of you, that jacket is going to be the driving force this year regardless what's going to happen. So. In fact, for me, previous years, it was always I've got to finish to qualify for Western States because it's like, I think it's probably the last race of the, the season to qualify and so that was always kind of my driving force but I qualified earlier this year already so kind of took that pressure off but then the got the jacket pressure now so <laughs> yeah no, no pressure those jackets are very nice too <laughs> so I, I don't think you can buy that in the eBay or anything like that so <laughs> I mean, that's a big achievement, I guess, getting a jacket for finishing at five in Hodes. Um, I think there's someone out there, um, a guy named Kip is going to be competing for his 10, which yep. may be more than anybody has run it. I don't know. Yeah, he's the only one. I interviewed yeah. him last year. He's going to be the only one. So once the, once the 10th year anniversary finishes, I will have to bring him back again. Well, uh, my, my A goal is to try to finish a race uh, 120 in 24 hours. Um, and I know that it's not the end of the world if I don't, but that is that is my A goal. And then if I had a B goal, it would be to, to PR. I think my fastest time now is 25 hours and 17 minutes. So that would be B. And then C for me would be to finish the race. And then my secret goal is to beat Bob's fastest time. <laughs> <laughs> So I've studied Bob's races. I know when he got to each aid state. You know, I know his splits, so I'll know early <laughs> on if I'm close. To, I know when Bob slows down and when he speeds up. So I think I could, I think I could um, be on Bob pace for um, at least the first half of the race. Uh, Maybe dangerous for me to be in that position at that time. <laughs> Yeah, my secret goal is to try not to be be behind too far behind Donna. So Donna and then always she challenges me. So I'll have to stay not too far behind. So you guys train too well, hard. Well, I know, Suman, you you were um, you and I were in the same spot at that race about a half mile from Bulls Gap, which is uh, race mile forty. So you really it really wasn't as I mean you made it that far, and then I guess. Um, spent a lot of time at the aid station considering whether you should move on or not. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one thing at Penhody. If you sit down, some of the aid stations are so nice. If you sit down, you could easily, um, you add up all your time at the aid stations. That could be uh, an hour or two of lost time in the race. So that's a a word of caution to anybody. Um, uh, Some of these aid stations, by the time you get to Hubbard Creek, Adams Gap, Porter's Gap, especially the Pinnacle, there is a desire to, um, especially when you get to the Pinnacle, there's usually people having a party up there, and there's a campfire if it's a cooler year, and you'll be enticed to sit down and maybe um, have a drink or something, uh, go make you scrambled eggs, or a... <laughs> <laughs> and never leave. So guys, uh, it has been really a pleasure to talk. Uh, Ita, 
each of you uh, talking about your five-year experience of uh, running Pinahoti. Before we conclude this podcast, I want you, to each of you, give a word of advice, final word of advice to those runners, first-time runners coming to run the Pinahoti. We can start from you, Emily. My advice is just enjoy the day. Just don't really think about the whole distance as a whole because it's far and, I mean, it's going to have its highs and it's going to really suck at points but just take it in and enjoy it because you know you know it, it's it's over and if it's anything like my first one I, I don't know you get really depressed afterwards so it's just such an experience just enjoy it Bob my advice would be uh what Emily said is you know enjoy enjoy being out there but to run your race you know don't uh don't run somebody else's race don't let somebody drive your pace uh, run the way you want to run and enjoy it. Um, and don't let even, your even the downtime. Go ahead, Emily. Oh, I was just saying. Sometimes you know, with it being your first one, just the excitement of it and the adrenaline. You know, you want to just take off and go. But you know, sometimes, of course, in this one, you really can't because yep. again, and we're instantly you're gonna funnel. <laughs> <laughs> bottleneck straight yep. the so there's, there's quite a bit of walking there at the beginning so just settle but yes in. be just, patient yeah yes be exactly. patient because that that first six miles for sure you know the sun's just coming up the trail is very tight and you can fall off a ledge is what it's coming <laughs> down to um, don't be passing when there's not room to pass uh, just because you're you're antsy you know just there'll be plenty of time later in the race the race is not won or lost at the start no michael yeah but go ahead and do what you want during that first that first six mile section because i mean if you um it's the weather's going to be a little bit cooler so your pace you'll be able to get away with over um running too fast in the beginning as long as you know by that first aid station you need to settle down and then and then that's really when you start enjoying the race and it's funny because you you will meet people during that beginning part of the race that you may see for the rest of the evening some of them you will see again and again and and some of them that will be the only time that you see those people and if you're a first time runner i think it's okay to latch on to these little groups that form and hang on as long as you can because they may be ones that pull you through some some tough time now um you still have to listen to what bob said and emily and run your own race don't get too caught up in it but um a lot of times having some of these other people around you can can help you and they could be your little silent competitions throughout out the race that you know that make it work for you because basically if it's your first time you're not you're going to be hitting a lot of unknown you're not going to know what it's like be um, if you hadn't run a, a 50 mile race or, you know, anything past 50, you're really not going to know how your body responds and you're not really going to know, um, how many walls, I mean, really in a 100, you could hit several low points and have several rebounds. So don't, uh, if you get really down and think you can't make it, if you keep going, you'll get to the other side of that low and you'll hit another high. So um, I would say don't give up too early because I think all of us have been at a point in a hundred miler where you just want to quit and you feel like, what am I doing out here? I don't ever want to do this again because I know I've, I've felt that way. And sometimes I'll feel like the signals my body's giving me that is I can't make it. There's just no way I could do go any further. But what you learn is 100 miles, the persistence and relentless forward movement pays off. And you, um, if you stick with it, you will see that you will have another high. And your next low may not 
it, it won't be as low as the previous one because you'll experience the other side of a low that helps keep propelling you forward. And that's where the rewards really come is going through that experience to me anyway. Definitely. And it's yeah. amazing how much the buckle is worth it. <laughs> Once you it's get, a re- handed, that, a really, you get really handed that buckle. buckle and everything gets better. <laughs> I mean, I'll run another 100 one day, but they've got to have a buckle as good as Tenhotis. And there's not very many of them out there. I mean, I would do Western States if I were picked to run that race, I guess. Tenhotis has a very... Uh, has a nice buckle. It's worth having. Definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I've been wearing a Pinhody buckle for a while now, secretly. So, <laughs> 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 because uh, I don't want to go on a road marathon where showing off my Pinhody buckle. My goal has always been this year has been Pinhody. Um, yeah, doing better at Pinhody. My suggestion, like what you guys have talking about right now, is just uh, make sure that, you know, don't push yourself too hard too early like I did. Uh, you're going to pay uh, pay it throughout the, throughout the race and later on. And also, uh, don't give up uh, too quickly. I see sometimes people come to Ball Rock and they're just fresh as they can be. And they just say, oh, I can't go anymore. I'm done here. But really, and unless it's a medical, I think uh, I always suggest people keep on pushing. And like what Michael said, uh, when, when Michael and I, we had that experience, uh, you, you go through that low and then you figure out the low, how to get out of that low. And you eventually going to ride that high. And then it's just up and down. And you know, that's what running hundreds is about, you know, go and go through that low and highs and figure out it's not a fire. Okay, not not a marathon, not ultra marathon. This hundred miles is just some kind of journey that that we're gonna be going through. But definitely, uh, guys, uh, it has been really pleasure to have you, and uh, thanks for coming to Emran's podcast. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you in a few weeks time. If I don't see you this weekend or next weekend, running somewhere. All right, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a need to cover your event from marketing to taking photos, please contact mruns.com by emailing at marathonruns at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emruns Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast channel, Voice of Runners, at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and more. And also follow our social media channel, Marathon Runs, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.